Good morning. I'm starting this morning out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. The reading is the parable that talks about God's field, the world, and how there are different kinds of people in it. And in the parable, he specifically talks about people who are wheat and some who are weeds. And so we pick up the the text in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up, get the weeds out of there, protect the wheat? No, he said, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. End of the world is what he's saying. At the time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I think the, the thing that we can pick up from this parable that Jesus is giving us is that we live in a world where wheat and weeds grow together, which means that we live in a world of people that's a mixed bag, that uh, it won't be sorted out till the end. You don't get to just be around all the wonderful people. That God has called us all to be in a world that has wonderful people and not so wonderful people. Which means that you may in fact be living with weeds a lot of the time. And sometimes you are weeds yourself. What does one do with weird, weedy people? Um, That's kind of our topic this morning. I want to talk about how to get along with people you can't stand. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us the Christian response. And he says, he starts, be kind. The word kind means to be solicitous. It means that you're disposed to show favor. That there's this bend in you to show favors to people, to make their lives better. We're to be disposed that way and compassionate toward other people, forgiving each other, which by implication means that we're offending or we're getting offended by people. When you have to forgive, what he's saying is that offenses will come, and that's exactly what Jesus said. Offenses will come. That's a promise most of us don't pray into. (laughs) And yet, it's out of his words, of his mouth, right? So he says, forgive each other, decide. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. In other words, the same way God forgives The same basis upon which God forgives the cross is what you and I are to employ in our lives as we're living among the weeds. Forgiveness is both a wonderful and a horrible concept. I mean, it's wonderful when you're the one being forgiven. It's horrible when uh, you need to forgive others that are around you who have offended you. Um, And so... uh, I think it's important that we think about this idea of forgiveness and talk about how do we approach it. I was going over this message on Friday, and I was feeling pretty confident about it, you know, and feeling pretty good, like I kind of get it, kind of a skilled practitioner. And then I got this email. It was stinging, it offended me, and in the twinkling of an eye, I went from being an expert to a newbie. I was so mad. 
I, I was so mad because it was someone that was close and it was completely a dis, it was it was completely stretched out of context. I was I felt completely judged. I felt compl- it was it. I mean, I was fighting mad. I was mad as a hornet, and I'm thinking, this is just great. God. <laughs> so even though this message, it, it's true, but it's also cathartic for me. I'm trying to preach my way into forgiving this person. <clears throat> you know, honestly, I'm, I'm convinced that this notion of forgiving others, forgiveness, letting go of the things that people do that offend us, that's what forgiveness is. It comes from a Greek word, aphaimi, and it means to let go to send away the things that would define the relationship differently, the things that would define us differently and lock us up. Uh, In fact, the word offense that Jesus uses in the text when he says that offenses will come is a Greek word that is scandalon. It means, it actually was the word that was used to describe the trigger that's inside an animal trap. They put a little food on it and they trap the animal trappers. An animal would go inside, eat on the food, and it would knock the trigger and the trap would come closed. That trigger is the scandal on it's the offense. And the imagery is, is that when you get offended, the most natural thing in the world to do is be trapped. You can't move forward. You can't get around. You are stuck. And when you're scandalized, that's exactly what happens. You feel stuck and it starts to define you. And so this idea of letting that go, I think that's the biggest part of what our ministry to the world is supposed to be. I used to think that ministry was mostly about finding my gifts and employing them, you know, or, or about volunteering or about giving and tithing. That's what got, but, but really, I don't think that's, even though those things are very important and part of it, I think the most profound thing that we can do in the world is take the blow to the face and turn the other cheek. That instead of responding out of the sting, that we respond out of another place, out of the heart, looking to another place out of wholeness. It's having our shirt unfairly demanded of us and we give them more than what was demanded. We give them our coat too. It's, it's us being willing to go, not just the first mile that really they shouldn't have asked us to go, but to actually go a second mile. And, and the reality is it's somehow when we're wounded, if, if we're not careful, the wounds will make us victims. And then we'll become victimizing victims, lashing out. That's just the natural way of doing things. But Jesus, he took the wounds that he received from living in a fallen world at, with mean people. And instead of becoming hateful towards them over it, he takes the wounds that he receives And somehow as he reacts to them and deals with them, he makes them sacred. Sacred through forgiveness. His wounds came to represent to us his love for the world. If we're not careful as we're wounded, what we can do is walk around and say, look what they did to me. My life is ruined because of so and so or such and such. And our wounds become for us stench. Blaming places. But for Jesus, when we think of his wounds, and he says, here, put your, put your finger into my palm and put your hand into my side. The, those wounds for us are sacred wounds because they're not 
testaments of how mean the world is, those wounds were declarations of how much he loves us. As he's dying unjustly and cruelly and unfairly, he cries from the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And somehow in that moment, forgiveness opens up into the world. Listen to our text again. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. God is asking us to be kind and forgiving like he is. Now that doesn't mean you're supposed to be okay with everything people do in the world, nor does it mean that you're supposed to surrender your life to abuse. doesn't mean that. I mean, Jesus himself, although he loves all people, it says in John 2, the text says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to everybody. He didn't surrender his life to everybody because he knew all people. He, he knew that he, did, he didn't need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was inside man. In other words, what he's saying is you have to have boundaries. Boundaries are okay. In fact, boundaries are appropriate because some people are like zoo animals. They, I love the zoo, but I don't jump in the cages. Right? So there are people that God will have in your life that are so toxic and so mean that, that you cannot get in this complete space with them. But that does not mean, even though you have boundaries set up, it doesn't mean you get to write people off. In the prodigal story, the dad with his son that's gone crazy and he takes off the ranch and he goes to brothels and he, his life is falling apart. The, 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 the story goes that the father's on the edge of the ranch. He doesn't go out to where the son is. There's a boundary there. He can only go so far. But he doesn't write the son off. He's always there anticipating, hoping, waiting for the son's return. So even though we may have people that are crazy and a little zooish, it doesn't mean we get to write them off. We should still cultivate and trust that somehow, no matter how stupid people are, that God is bigger than stupid. <laughs> and can help them. The truth is people can do things we can't stand so they quickly become the people we can't stand. So what are we supposed to do? Our natural response is to get ticked off, like I said, write them off. But we're called to something more. We're called to forgive people. Forgiveness is the religious word we use for simply letting go of the evil done to us. That we're not going to let it define our relationship with that person, and we're not going to let it define us. We're going to let it go and live in hope and in faith about that relationship. Richard Rohr writes, rather long quote here, quote, to forgive reality is to let go of the negative storyline, the painful storyline that you've created for it. If that storyline has become your identity, if you are choosing to live in a victim state, an abused consciousness, it gives you a false kind of power that makes you feel morally superior to others. But let me tell you, it will also destroy you. It will make you smaller and smaller as you get older. You will find that you will have fewer and fewer people you can trust. Fewer and fewer people, if any, that you can love. Life itself becomes a threat. Your comfort zone becomes tinier and tinier. 
Thankfully, he goes on, God has given us a way to not let the disappointments, hurts, betrayals, and rejections of life destroy us. It's the art of letting go. If we can forgive and let go, if we don't hold our hurts against history and against one another, we will indeed be following Jesus. The wounds of the crucified Jesus symbolize sacred wounds, transformative wounds that do not turn him bitter. At the crucifixion, there's no record of Jesus wanting to blame anybody or accuse anybody. In fact, his last words are breathing forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. If, he goes on, we are to follow Jesus, he says we're simply to forgive one another as God has forgiven us. He says that we should forgive one another not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. What that implies, first of all, is that God is all mercy and all forgiving in God's very nature. But it also implies that Jesus knows we are going to make mistakes. He assumes human beings are weedy. He assumes that we are going to hurt one another and do it wrong, maybe even 70 times, seven times. This should keep us all humble, end quote. We're called to forgive people. And this sucks on so many levels. <laughs> I mean, there's even something intuitively, seems intuitively wrong with forgiving. Because in a way, it almost feels like, well, we're saying their behavior was okay. If I forgive you, it's like, it's okay. It's not okay, right? There's something in us that just impulses. It's like, but, but that's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't always care what we think. In fact, he calls us to do things that are awful odd feeling to us. You know, for example, I, I love being a little greedy because it just seems protective and wise on some level. But there he is. He nudges us to give, right? Or, or I, like being, <laughs> I like being selfish and disengaged. Uh, at times, and, but he calls us to be caring and engaged. I love to hate myself when I fail. To just pick on you, idiot, you stupid. I just love to just make myself hate, you know, inside. You stupid. It's like I'm making up for my sin when I do that. And yet he calls me to forgive me and to accept his forgiveness of me. Not based on me, but based on Jesus. He wants me to believe that what I did is a small matter to what he did. I like to write people off when they sin against me. I, there's something in me, I, I would love to hate people. You know, when they're mean. And to judge them. It's just something, I, I, I'm such a good judge. <laughs> and when Jesus says, judge not, I think, why did you say that? You know, you love them. I'll judge them. You love them. I'll tell them you love them while I'm judging them. But what does he do? He calls us to forgive people and love people. So I, I've told you this before, but it's true. I'm convinced Jesus has come to ruin our lives. You know, people used to tell me when I was a kid, he'll make your life so much better. That's not true. It is not true. I mean, eventually it becomes true, but there's this thing. It's this cross thing. That is not fun. 
So come to Christ today. <laughs> because misery loves company. <clears throat> so, 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 since forgiveness is our calling, I want to quickly talk about five helpful thoughts that can aid us in the forgiveness process when, and help us get along with people that we can't stand, help us get along with the weedy people. Helpful thought number one, and this is really helpful, is when you get offended and you feel the sting on your face and you want to react out of that eye for eye, tooth for tooth, pause and pray and ask God to help you understand what's motivating that person. Understanding, if we dare to look past the way people are being offensive, you can sometimes discover things that will really help you forgive them. Author Stephen Covey tells of this story. Early on a Sunday morning in New York City, he's on a, he's on a uh, subway. And he's sitting on one car. There was really very few people in the, in the whole train, but he's on one car on the side of the car, and the other side of the car is this elderly gentleman reading a newspaper. A couple stops go by, and this, young, this man, relatively young man, came on with two children. One was about six-ish, about eight-ish. And they go and they sit down pretty close to Covey, Dr. Covey. And as they're going along, the kids started getting up and started playing, you know, running on the train. And Covey looks up and kind of goes, you know, looking at the husband, the dad, you know, and he's not really doing anything. And then after a while, they started getting a little more playful, a little more rambunctious, a little louder. And at one time, they start, then they started getting horseplayish, pushing on each other. And Cubby was starting to look around and say, what? Come on. And the one older boy pushed the younger boy. The kid flies into the elder man's lap and knocks the paper out of one of his hands. And Covey said, I had a, you know, he had a Popeye moment. I can't take it no more. You know, he's getting, this is what's wrong with the country. You know, what in the world? What's wrong with these people? You've got to take care of your kids. What? Just indignation, kind of mean. What is wrong with this dad? He's staring off into space. So he finally says, sir. The guy kind of looks at him. He said, would you please control your children? He goes, oh, I am so sorry. Boys, boys, boys. He gets them to sit down. And after they sit down, he looks over at Covey and he says, he says, I'm really sorry. He said, we, we just left the hospital. My wife just died this morning. And Covey said, without any effort on his part whatsoever, all of the indignation, all of the anger, all of the angst, all of the judgment evaporated. And in its place came all this concern and wanting to lean into this family. See, sometimes when we're offended, we have to just ask God, what's going on? People, oftentimes, maybe that, you know, that waitstaff person from hell, maybe he's going through a divorce. Maybe there's something that's going on you have no idea. And if you just take it at face value, you'll always be offended. But sometimes praying and stopping, God can bring understanding and clarity and make it easier to let people go. I was coming home from college back when I, uh, back in the 1800s. 
I'm driving home, I'm coming over the hill, and I had a little Volkswagen, and I break for animals, you know, basically. I mean, there was a cat right in front of me. I, just, I mean, I don't like cats. I'll just, I'll just be right up front with you. I think they're the result of the fall of humankind. That being said, I did brake for this cat, but when I braked, you know, I put the brakes on, I ended up kind of hitting him, not hard. Well, I guess a car hitting is hard. But it hit his head, and I pulled over right away, and I could see him. He was just kind of, I'm literally, he's doing this, dazed. I get out of the car. It's pretty late at night. I get out of the car, and I'm going to go grab him because I'm thinking I've got to take him to a vet or something. So I get up, and I start to approach him. There was a demonic manifestation. <laughs> This guy's like, I mean, like freaking out, tingly spine inside of a, a bad, uh, you know, horror movie feeling. He's freaking out and just took off into the cornfield. I mean, I'm trying to shake off the heebies and, you know, got back in the car. That was so weird. I drive home. I get to school the next day. I was telling this guy the story. I said, man, that was the weirdest thing, this demon cat. He said, Ed. Wounded animals don't act right. And I heard in my heart, neither do wounded people. Neither do wounded people. We live in a world full of wounded people that are desperate, that are reacting to us out of their wounds. It isn't about us. Helpful thought number two. Remember the cross. The, before the cross, sin was sort of all intermingled with people. So if you wanted to destroy sin, you destroy people. You want to deal and resist evil? It was eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It was the lex talionis. It's the ancient law that if somebody was acting badly, you beat them or killed them. But Jesus comes along and he says, there's a way to beat evil without beating people. That Jesus has come to take away the sin of the world. So that God could judge sin without judging people. And so he invites us into this miracle. It's the miracle of the cross. Of separating sin from the person. And treating the person with love, even though they've been participants in evil, because evil is born away at Calvary. And so we see this in Jesus when he says in Matthew 5, you heard that it was said eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They say, yeah, but I tell you, you don't have to resist evil people anymore. This isn't about them anymore. Somehow, there's a way to separate evil people from the evil that they do so that they're just people. He says, so if anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other. See, we're always called to be against evil, but now that doesn't mean we have to be against people. Which means that we have to separate the person from the bad things the person does. That we have to make a distinction when we see someone doing something evil. They're not just evil people. They're people with an evil problem. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, he says, do not judge, there that is, do not judge or you too will be judged. And then jump down to verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank 
that's in your eye. The speck of sawdust is just a tiny bit of wood. Plank is a whole lot more of that wood, right? And then how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, the little bit of wood out of your eye, when there's a whole bunch of wood in your own eye? You hypocrite, get the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly how to remove the speck of little bit of wood out of your brother's eye. Get the lot of wood out of your eye so you can get the little bit of wood out of your brother's eye. I used to think this text meant that what you were supposed to do is that, you know, when if you see a pro- person that has a problem, well, get rid of all your problems and then you have a right to say something. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is you want to help people? God wants you to help people, but you can't help people if they've got a little bit of wood in their eye and you so focus on that little bit of wood that it becomes enlarged in your eyes. So that that little bit of wood where it's a precious person who has a little bit of an anger problem, you so focus on the fact they got angry that they become anger. They become an angry person. Not a person with an angry problem, but an angry person. And if you're so focused on their anger and you try to help them, you'll gouge their eye out. But you hypocrite, cast the pank out of your eye. Don't judge them. Don't reduce them to their sin. People are more than their sin. The way I stumbled into this was when I was in Bible school, and there's this guy, I'll call him Joe, who, uh, who was making me crazy. He was a chintzy guy. You know what chintzy means? Um, cheapskate. And uh, he would come over to our house. He was older than Gil and I. He was in his 30s. We were in our 20s. And he, he hadn't been married. He hadn't, which is nothing wrong with that, but he, he, he didn't really, he just never, he didn't have a car, didn't have a phone, didn't turn on his air conditioning. He came over to my house, used my car, my phone, and made hot for my air conditioning. <laughs> Usually would come over to the house. And after the first year, year and a half, it was okay. But after a while, you know, he started making me crazy because he never offered even a dime for anything, even using the car. He'd ride with us to St. Louis and come back and he'd never offer a dollar for gas. And I, again, I, for a long time I didn't care. But after a while I started thinking, it wasn't about the money, it was about, dude, carry your own weight, you know? And he'd come and he'd, start, he'd come over, you know when he'd come over? Dinner time. <laughs> and he'd come over to the house. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It got to the point where when he knocked like that, it was like knives. Ooh. And I remember telling Gail, honey, I am so mad. I just want to punch him. And I've never punched anyone in my life. I'm not a violent man. I just want to punch him. She said, you better pray. (laughs) I don't want want to pray. I want to hate. (laughs) So I did. I started to pray. And I'm praying. It was just a few days. And I'm driving on. This is a true story. I'm driving down the Broken Air Expressway, pulling off the memorial exit. Halfway down that ramp, I have, the only way to describe it is like a vision. My eyes are wide open. I'm able to drive, but it was like I was, do you remember R2-D2? Some of you remember R2-D2. And he had that, that came out of his spirit, uh, the Princess Leah. You with me? Holographic image. Yeah, but it was, it was out of his spirit. Don't be messing with my preaching, brother. So this little, little Princess Leah is talking to me. I came out, and I'm not kidding you. I saw Joe right in front of me, like Adam, just here in front of me. I'm driving. And there was like a little splinter in his eye. A little, little stick, a little splinter, like toothpicky thing. 
And I reach up in this little vision. I'm reaching out to try to get that out of him. But instead of getting out of him, an exact duplicate of what was in his eye appeared in my hand. And I saw myself bringing it so close in front of my eyes that I couldn't see anything but the wood. So the little wood that was in his eye became the wood of my glance to him. And I heard God say, you've made his splinter a log. He wasn't a precious brother for whom Christ died that had a chintzy problem. He was a chintz! And I was so aggravated. If I would have tried to help him, I'd have gouged his eye out. I, could have, I was not in a position to help him. And it wasn't until I saw that I said, okay, God, I forgive him. I let it go. He's a precious brother who's got a chintzy problem. Was getting the hypocrisy out. Getting the judgment out. Back into the story, which was interesting to me. Is I saw him the next day, and instead of wanting to run from him, I wanted to run to him. I looked at him and said, Joe! And he came up to me and said, hi, Ed. And he was, he was a little more serious that day than he usually was. And I said, he said, can I talk to you? I said, sure, what's up? He said, yesterday afternoon that it happened, that this little thing that happened to me was that afternoon, the day before. He said, I'm sitting in my, in my chair at my house. And he said, all of a sudden it dawned on me. I never carry my own weight. And he pulled out $20. He said, I need to start carrying my own weight financially. He said, I am so sorry. I've been to cheapskate. I'm listening to this thinking, first of all, yeah, I'll take that $20. God be praised. <laughs> but, but, but really, really what I thought was, in my head I thought, oh my gosh. What if forgiving people is like praying for them? What if forgiving people is like interceding for them? Like putting your hands on them and expecting God to flow through your hands. What if forgiving people unlocks them? What if people would change more if we dared to take our views of them the way God calls us to? Then in forgiving, we're actually letting the wounds become redemptive. And God changes the world. And how many people are not changed because we bear our wounds as victims? that prove the world is mean and hateful and we don't turn them to God and people aren't changed because we refuse to forgive. Hmm. Helpful thought number three. Decide to forgive, which means forgiveness is not a feeling. It is an act of your will. You decide to release that person from their guilt, period. <laughs> you, you may remember it, repeatedly at first, maybe dozens of times. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they did that. But every time it comes, the decision is, you let it go. There's a story. Every time it appears, you let it go. This is a story where Peter asks Jesus. This is one of these times. Oh, I wish he wouldn't have said this. So he says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? I mean, he's messing with my head. He's doing something stupid. I mean, how should I forgive? Seven times? I mean, that sounds like a good number. I mean, it's a number of perfection. I forgive him seven times, then I kill him, right? I mean, what, that, that's it, right? <laughs> Jesus said to him, no, not seven times. Oh, maybe five. He's thinking, Peter. But until 70 times seven, that's 490 times. And then Luke in his gospel adds the phrase, a day. 
thank you, Luke. Which means you're supposed to forgive a person 490 times a day. I mean, you would think by the time you hit about 200, you'd kind of be in the habit, right? <laughs> but I don't think what Jesus is saying is that someone is actually going to sin against you 490 times a day because that's a lot of sinning. I think what he's saying really or implying is that we have to forgive that often. Because when you're offended, it can come back to you over and over and over. And you say, God, I let it go. And you think, yes! And you feel like you just sent it to God and it's got this boomerang thing. I'll hit you right back in the head. And like machine gun rapidity, you can think, I can't believe it. I, I need to let it go, God. I'm so that you forgive me. I let it go. I can't believe that thing. <laughs> it just hits you over and over again. And what I think Jesus is saying is every time it comes back, let it go. Every time you come back, let it go. That's what forgiveness is. It isn't a feeling. It isn't a moment at the altar. It's a decision to let it go every time it comes back. You're not going to be defined by that. You're not going to be, your relationship with that person be defined by that. You're going to let it be defined by the cross. You're letting it go. And I think what happens is that today it might be 490 times you have to forgive. Tomorrow you might be 480. You might be two or three weeks down in it and you're down to like 274 times a day. You're making progress. And then you see him at the mall and you're back up to 490. But if you'll stick with it, eventually the wound will no longer be a place of victimization. It will be a place of sacredness. And you will love that person irrespective of what they have done. And that is exactly what God is like. You would have tasted divinity. Helpful thought number four. Once you've chosen to forgive, start giving. Forgiveness is forgiving. If you're an unforgiveness, you can't give a person a smile, can't give them a conversation, can't give them a glance, can't give them time with them in a conversation. You're an ungiving. Forgiveness is for giving. So you start giving. You maybe give them first your prayers. I mean, even the worst enemies, you can pray for them. That's what Jesus said. Pray for, for your enemies. Why? Because that's the start of giving someone you'd rather not give to. Give them acts of kindness, maybe a smile, a card, a visit, a gift. Now, if they're zoo people, you may have to still keep your boundary, pass it through the bars. <laughs> if you have a mother-in-law that is like the mother-in-law from hell, you don't, you don't necessarily have to go over there and sit and be accosted. Send her a card thinking about you today, mom. Grace to you. Right? Just be nice. Send it to the zoo people. The zookeepers. If it's something that has violated a trust, you don't give them trust, but you give them the opportunity to earn it again. And when you've been violated in a way that trust is robbed, it takes a while to figure that out. But give them, not trust, but the opportunity to earn it. And then lastly, forgiveness is supernatural. There's a scripture that says, that God poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been poured out through our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which means that we have this extra from God in order to forgive because we can't do it on our own. You say, well, I can't do that. You're exactly right. We can't do it. 
But there's something about God where he actually takes his, he dwells within us. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Paul said that the power is not from us, but it's from God. We don't have a lot going for us. You know, we just, we just have got to open ourselves up to one who has a lot going for himself. It's God. And somehow we reflect him into the world. That's, that's why it's wonderful that God is committed to be involved with us in our relationships with others in the world. Corey Ten Boom, she lived as a, a prisoner in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany and during the Second World War. And she, um, she saw all these horrible acts committed against the people around her and against her own flesh and blood sister who they eventually, the Nazis, murdered. And she wrote this, quote, In the concentration camp where I was imprisoned many years ago, sometimes bitterness and hatred tried to enter my heart when people were so cruel to my sister and me. We can all get that. Then I learned this prayer. It's a thank you based upon Romans 5.5. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have brought into my heart the love of God through the Holy Spirit who has given to me, was given to me. Thank you, Father, that your love in me is victorious over the bitterness in me and the cruelty around me. After I prayed it, I experienced the miracle that there was no room for bitterness in my heart anymore. Sidebar and say, I bet you she prayed this 490 times a day for a long time before it stuck. Will you learn to pray that prayer too, she asks us. If you are a child of God, you have a great task in your prison. You are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. He will use you to win others for Christ. You can't, you say? I can't either. But Jesus can. The Bible says be filled with the Spirit. If you give room in your life to the Holy Spirit, then he can work through you, making you the salt of the earth and a shining light in your prison. End quote. forgiveness. Let's stand. We're about to enter into the meal that we celebrate every time we gather. It's called Eucharist. What it means is Thanksgiving. And the import of it is that we're entering in a meal that the church is called to become. We're not just having a Eucharistic meal. We're becoming a Eucharistic people. And somehow what this means is that his body was broken and his blood was shed to reach us. And as a Eucharistic people, we're going into our jobs and into our lives, recognizing that a huge part of our call is to be broken and to bleed. To be slapped and rejected. And that somehow as we move toward evil people with no longer holding them accountable for their evil, but loving them, even though you have to talk about it, I'm not, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We still choose to love people. And somehow when we do it, evil gets exhausted. It's broken. We become part of the redemptive voice of God in the world. It's almost like we're grabbing a kid, two or three-year-old kid that has a tantrum. Do you ever try to reason with a two or three-year-old child that's having a tantrum? You try to reason with them. Are you kidding me? You can't reason with them. It'll just make it worse. You start trying to force them and stuff. It'll make it worse. The only thing really you can do with those two or three-year-old little kids when they're freaking out on the floor and flailing like demon-possessed children, 
you pick them up and you hold them. They're freaking out. Manifesting in your arms. And you just hold them. And you know what eventually happens? They give up. They get exhausted. That's what Jesus has called us to do with the evil people in our world. Is hold on. They may scratch. They may bite. They may be mean. But we hold on with the love of God until they're exhausted. And that's when transformation comes. We change the world as a Eucharistic people. Let's pray this prayer together. For just a moment, close your eyes. Open up your hearts to the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you first before we pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, bring to mind the weedy people, the offenders of our lives. Help us learn to forgive. Help us forgive through Christ our Lord. Let's pray this together. Father, in matters of life and relationship, please help us remember that we are your representatives in the world. We are the body of Christ. Grant that we may fully appreciate the fact that the most some will ever see of God before entering eternity is us. Make us a people of love. Make us a people who are willing to forgive because of the cross of Christ. Help us exhaust the evil we encounter and to bring glory to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, hear our prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.